0: Hey there folks, just wanted to jump on mic before we start the show proper and give a shout out to a new sponsor for this episode and it's our friends over at Kino Lorber specifically their uh, line of Blu-rays from Kino Lorber Studio Classics which has recently put out a new 4K restoration of the Sergio Leone classic A Fistful of Dollars of course the first film in the uh, Man With No Name trilogy which ends with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly uh, if you don't know of this film, if you haven't seen it, now is the time to remedy that with a gorgeous, gorgeous edition of this movie, uh, sound and visually, uh, this one is a nice, beautiful upgrade for a classic movie. So see what started it all. See, a, see a Western that has been, uh, replicated and copied many, many times. So, uh, we thank Kino Lorber for, uh, supporting us over here at adjust your tracking and now on with the show. and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von offen Joe, how are we doing today, man? We're doing okay. We? We're, we're doing okay. Speak for uh, me, Joe. I'm I'm talking like a character in a movie and our hold-up we're going to talk about today.
1: Everything is we, not I. That's Is, is that true for... Oh for that character he says we a lot. It's I thought well we'll
0: get into it but it, I found it to be one of the most interesting things about his character. Very manipulative word usage there. It's it's always a team effort with him but he always gets what he wants.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, you know, let's just hint at it. We don't need to say what the hold up what your hold up pick is, yeah. but uh horror has always been like a a cultural touchstone where we get to find out our shared anxieties like where are our, uh, our concerns and preoccupations live at any given moment. Uh, which ones are sort of like stand the test of time, which ones will never go away, which ones sort of like crop up and then become, you know, almost immediate spoofs of themselves. Yeah. And uh, what, what sort of lasts and be, is, is like groundbreaking You know, and then becomes a part of a canon in terms of horror because, like, it's it's the one that just has an eternally built-in audience as a genre. And uh, yeah, the the main sort of mantelpiece discussion we're going to be having is uh, over Ari Aster's uh, feature debut *Hereditary*. uh, Brought to you by A24, which we are whores for as a (laughs) distributor. You know they. They curate such a like you know f- like fine selection, and luckily I have problems with some of their films, so I, I don't feel like I'm an entire like devotee to them, you know, all the way through. But yeah, you know, yeah. for the most part, I have to look at my top ten of the year and be like, oh Jesus Christ, it really looks like I'm financed by them.
0: <laughs> yes, this um, has been a concern of ours for sure.
1: Yeah, so. Pretty much from the from the go uh, with this movie, as soon as like a trailer popped up where like, you know, we were swore allegiance to it. Uh, and, you know, A24 has had like, you know, some sort of like oppositional difficulty in terms of like what they um are kind of what they advertise as being horror movies, and then they sort of draw in that built-in audience that we were just talking about and then end up delivering something like it comes at night, which is kind of a, a heightened existential family drama more than it is a horror movie. It definitely has horror elements and, you know, like genre movie payoff in certain parts, but like it, it is mostly just like a, a sort of survival drama, like with a sort of feverish nightmare element to it. Mm -hmm. And that pissed people off, I think. (laughs) And uh, a movie like the witch, which I didn't enjoy, but like, you know, that seemed to draw in the sort of built in genre audience of horror fans and then sort of mystified them with something a little more patient, a little more drawn out and atmospheric than it was a traditional horror movie in any sense. And so with uh, hereditary, it looked like that danger might be present where it was like, like a stunning trailer that like, once I saw it in the theater before uh stranger's alien versus predator at night, um, <laughs> I, I was like, Oh, I'm, it was still a, f- a few months out from actually being released. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to watch any more trailers or this trailer again, because like there was so much about it that it was like, It was just like beat after beat where it's like, oh my God, oh my, oh my God, that image, like image after image that were just like burning into you. And I was like, I don't want any more of the movie given away. And um, I think the threat was that you have these evocative images, oftentimes in movies that promise like uh, a, a kind of overwhelming experience, a sort of nightmarish sensorial overload uh, sensorial, not a word. Um I think it is. You don't think it is?
0: I think it is.
1: Okay. Well, I coined it today if it's a <laughs> word. But you know, you get concerned that like does is is that just the is the highlight reel essentially all there is in a longer format? You know, like is there going to be a narrative that sustains these sort of like nightmare tableaus that seem to like be really evocative in the trailer. Like can, can the movie basically deliver what the highlight reel is suggesting Mm. and will it appease an audience that gets kind of fussy when they don't have the normal sort of beats rhythms of familiarity that they've come to expect in what a traditional horror movie is. Mm -hmm. So hereditary is here. Opened in theaters uh, this last Friday, did very well, you know, for for a difficult sell of a longer form horror movie. Yeah, Yeah. and a difficult one at that. Um, and I like you saw it before I did, Mm -hmm. and you didn't didn't give much away, but you said that it delivers, and I have to agree with you. Like the movie does deliver in that in the in the way of like delivering genre payoff without without giving you the sense of familiar rhythms and beats that sort of allow you to passively experience the movie Mm. and i think that's where like i don't we didn't mention it yet but it got a sort of kind of startlingly low cinema score yeah d plus like I, uh, this is like the Nielsen rating system. Like I don't, who the fuck are they? Inter? Like, I've never seen anyone interviewed after a movie. Like, right. so I don't know where this is happening. What theaters? What type of theaters? These are taking place in. Is it just like one place in Middle America? that's like this is the average of the average of the average moviegoer. We want to know what they have to say. I didn't like it, you know. So it's just like, who? Who knows who? Who they're assessing? But like this got a D plus cinema score rating. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't what people were expecting or necessarily wanted, which I don't understand me really, because like the movie is beautifully realized, stunning, gripping from scene to scene in a way that like makes it sort of like over what would be an overlong running time, like clip by and like it, it's able to have a sort of puzzle piece mystery that when it reveals itself nothing is diffused mm. and all of the moments from the trailer that are evocative that are these like nightmare tableaus that get you to see the movie like they they aren't like eh, the best parts were in the trailer they actually are just the peaks of what's a great and sustained nightmare experience mm. like you see and like which i don't what i don't want to give any of the like Moments away from the trailer because I feel like it already gives away too much, but those are just like the the crescendos to an already beautifully built nightmare. Yeah, I think the marketing for
0: this movie is a great case study to look at of like how things have had to, I guess, had to evolve for people trying to get attention for movies because i think the trailers for hereditary i i stopped watching them too because they were the same reasons as you they were very good and i felt like oh my god these are really good trailers but they are giving so much away in my mind mm-hmm. but in hindsight when you see the film a lot of the marketing is kind of a head fake in a way that i find almost not not nearly as like enjoyable as the movie itself which i i think as as you said delivers uh in many fronts but I loved the idea of like, Oh my gosh, there's, and I'm going to be vague about it because this movie is still only a weekend long, you know, it's only been out for a few days and I don't want to just like clue the audience in in advance or anything, but there are just, I think there are several head fakes and you're led to believe the movie will be something, um, something else that's familiar to a horror audience that it ends up being something much more right, naughty, complex. And, um, I gotta say, uh, the, the closest um, approximation of how I felt coming out of Hereditary uh, is akin to, do you remember Goodnight Mommy from a few years ago? Like mm-hmm. yeah, the yeah. the Austrian horror uh, movie, it's sort of, it's, it's a part of this uh, group of movies that seem to be sort of lumped together for, I think, obvious reasons. But it's mostly surface-based of like these arty horror titles that are sort of, you know, doing well like you already mentioned it comes at night the witch the Babadook is a really good comparison to hereditary it follows follows, exactly that that felt like that might have been the first that really kicked that stuff off but um, I'm not remembering timelines but with goodnight mommy that is just I thought that had a lot of unsettling uh, well done you know it's a a well done artistically inclined horror film but it's so sad by the end of it you're horrified you've been put through the ringer but Hereditary even I think takes it further where I felt like I was put through the ringer in this movie and the the fact that it deals so much of its horror and its narrative like propulsion forward is dealing with grief, which is something that I guess reflective in this bizarre non-science of getting a cinema score for a movie of just polling audiences coming out, wherever they do that, audiences probably didn't want to go through a very like uh, at times meditative or just, I guess, unafraid to deal with grief in all its ugliness and yeah. all it's, it's offshoots and forms. And, you know, then it, but to me, I'm just like, I I love that. It just deepens this movie. And uh, it's a film that I'm extremely impressed with how like real, real hard hitting, like drama, the stuff we're talking about, grief, uh loss, uh, f- man fucked up family dynamics to say the least mm-hmm. can be weaved into something that actually is a straight up horror movie. It, it, like it is all throughout the film, but it definitely leans into that fully in the, maybe the last 30 minutes. Um, And I was, I was shocked that the uh, frankly, that the D plus cinema score, maybe it's naive of me, but I, uh, I told you off Mike already. And I feel like it's worth saying on Mike is like, I came out of the screening a couple of weeks ago saying this is gonna be the first of these artistic horror movies that actually will get a good cinema score. I just like straight up was convinced because I felt like this is one that they're not they're now the marketing as I said is like a head fake element to it, but it never it never sold it. It, it is a horror movie. And what yeah. they sold it was as a horror movie. So I thought, oh, I thought that would equal an audience that'd be a little more receptive. Um and I guess that's just, that's okay. Some audiences don't want to go through what everything that hereditary wants to like deal with. Um, I guess more than anything, I'm just glad that it's, it's like a 24s best opening weekend so far for them as a a distributor. Mm -hmm. Uh, It beat the witch or it was either the witch or um, spring breakers. I can't remember, but, or it comes at night maybe too, but they have been able to sell audiences for a, a blip of a weekend, get that opening weekend. And then they make, they make profit on it because these are small budgeted films. So despite the bad cinema score, I do think hereditary is gonna do it. It's already had a great weekend. And I think it's, I'm I'm still hoping that audiences will go to see it because word from the other end is like critics are over the moon for this movie. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out for the next coming weeks. There's like a Jurassic park sequel coming out. Yawn. And stuff like that that's just going to overtake the box office as as it happens in the summer. But um, I think this movie could have legs to sustain for a while. And I hope it does because it is it is so well-crafted. I don't think it is like a genius singular object made by someone that is just on another level. What I do think it is is a really strong first feature film from a director that I think knows – who and what films to copy from in a good way. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I think all filmmakers copy from, you know, hopefully you copy from the best. And I think this director, Ari Aster, like he's sort of plumbing from like a lot of the greats, the uh, the big greats of Rosemary's baby of, of the exorcist and the shining, the, it, Hereditary is its own thing, I, I think, but also yeah. is a really great sort of amalgam of all those those films and what makes those films special in the horror genre.
1: Well, yeah, I think that, you know, we were discussing this um, off mic before we started, um, that, like, it, those, those movies have been sort of referenced in, like, press materials about this one, and it's, like, not so much that it feels like it belongs, like, like it's borrowing necessarily from them, but what all of those titles share together is what sets them apart from conventional horror movies. And I think that like what we all sort of gather together as a community in the theater to experience is a shared sense of what to our bone marrow upsets us and that sense of violation and confronting that in a space where it's safe to do so. Like where where, like, you know, especially now, like, where there's so much divisiveness, like, where at our core, are we all scared? Are we all threatened? Are we all, you know, and we can sort of have that communal experience. And that's changed over time. And, like, I think a movie like The Shining or, like, The Exorcist, there's something, like, unique in the approach and how how much time they take, how slow of a burn it is, how character-driven it is. Like, that's where... These movies all kind of overlap and sort of speak to each other, as opposed to just like introducing archetypes to be basically fed into the wood chipper of the ho- conventional horror movie experience, where it's like, oh, here's this guy, he's gonna die off, you know. Whereas, <laughs> like, you're actually establishing genuinely developed characters as real people, putting them in the sort of like harrowing emotional experience of this and having it be like, you know. In the case of Hereditary, it's just like, yeah, you're dealing with like real difficult familial relationships. And like a a reference point that I've seen Ari Aster make outside of any horror references was like in the bedroom, like a movie that's just like harrowing, you know, movie about grief and like how, how horrific and transformative that is. And so like, I think the the connective tissue between these movies is a like a real abandonment of what a horror movie is supposed to mean, and then reaching for what it could mean and like I think that's what makes you know a lot of the great ones endure over time and like the the i it's you know we're we have no way of knowing if this is going to be one of the great ones, but I think that like. You know, you were saying that he he borrows from like the sort of the great examples, but it's just like we need to reinvent all the time to keep horror movies fresh, a sense of what is primally terrifying to us. Yes. Because once it gets sort of introduced, um, it then can become copied to the point of being derivative and almost like satirically like, you know dead ending where it's like, Oh, a little kid with her hair in front of her face. That's terrifying. That's ever, scary to everybody. Now it's a joke, you know, and like, right. Right. 10, 10 or so, How, however long it was. But like, uh, when I, I was saying like naked old men running down the hallway, I was going to be the new children crawling out of the television set. Mark my words. And like still paying off on that dude. Yep. It's true. It's one of my proudest tweets. Um, <laughs>
0: Hereditary has it, man. And I thought yeah, yeah, of yeah. You. And I, like, I felt like I was sitting next to you when that moment happened. It was you know, great.
1: I told you. <laughs> um, but like, I wonder if there's just gifts of naked old men running down hallways like, <laughs> to, to haunt I, your. To be your, fair, your with. Hereditary has perhaps the most terrifying
0: image of a naked old man just the way it shot and the fucking maniacal grin that's being put off that
1: chilled me to my core man so he kind of falls into that david lynch kind of category of like things striking you like the way david lynch thought about an ear severed being found in a field and that's how that was the portal into what became blue velvet and so like he has these like nightmarish images, Ari Aster does like they they come to him and then he fills in a sort of narrative around it that supports and basically like allows the nightmares to sort of like come to life in front of you. And I think that like we always need people plumbing this or like the collective unconscious to find like what kind of connects us in terms of terror and what what is always to our bone marrow prime primally upsetting so we can confront it in like a way that's you know that's 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 safe but is is also like effective you know and i think like the most enduring horror movie cinema like does that and continues it, it endures because it taps into something primal
0: right i and i think that's an interesting angle to not only just discuss this movie, but these this small, I mean, I, I keep calling it like a wave of movies. I'm using cliched language and I lump these movies together, these arty horror movies of late, but like it does bug me that we're so reductive in the discussion, but okay, let's just accept that sometimes that's just how art gets discussed and sure, I'll play in that ballpark for a bit and say, I think that's what I think excites me about a lot of these movies because I, I think... Like, yeah, you had mentioned you weren't crazy about the witch. But I feel like most of those you've liked, most of these movies we could say we enjoyed. I I feel like I've liked all of them. Like I'm waiting for the one where I'm like, eh, that one. Like I'm waiting for my witch to come along, where I'm just like <laughs> my witch is gonna float along. And and that I can just like I'm 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 actually like it's almost like my guard is up more when I see the next one, but I keep being satisfied by these type of movies because I love a good pure um B movie horror movie. That's that's great. Like mm-hmm. Strangers Prey at Night is is fine. Like I enjoyed it as a fleeting horror movie experience. Some of the yeah, purge yeah, movies like a,
1: a perfect example of like the type of uh, like characters that are not fleshed out, that are not humanized really. They're archetypes and they're cannon fodder. They're just basically like going to get killed off one by one. And you're kind of fine with that because it's a formula that's familiar to you. And if it's pulled off with enough panache, like there's something pleasurable about it where you're like, okay, yeah. Hey, you know what? That pool scene was a great set piece, you know? And so like, there's, there's a pleasure to it, but there's also limits to that, Mm -hmm. you know? And like we discussed, um, uh, eat, pray, love, the strange, whatever the stranger's movie was called. (laughs) But like, um, it's, gonna, it's just gonna continue. <laughs> I didn't see Julia Roberts in it, but maybe the you're variation. <laughs> but like, you know, a movie that will like even the movies you mentioned, uh the the sort of art house horror like that kind of started in 2014 and is, you know, continued in little weird waves. Um there's like as much as I enjoyed most of them, uh there's something in the conclusion that you're just sort of like all right like there's even even those movies feel kind of limited like in it follows the sort of the last stretch um where they're c- confronting the sexually transmitted ghost whatever the <laughs> entity is it gets pretty stupid you right, know like right. just like eh, throw the tv in the pool and then we'll be able to kill it like what like ugh. like the the more they got sort of wrapped up in what, what the rules were the more like the horror was kind of diffused yes and and like the babadook that conclusion was a little wonky and just sort of let the air out of what was kind of like a, a genuinely upsetting experience and like even though i think it thematically sort of makes sense and pays off it ends up kind of like undermining the sort of primal terror of it mm. Whereas Hereditary is like one example where it's like that stride the movie hits in like the last 30 minutes of like what's already a pretty sustained like it, the atmosphere of dread in the movie is so beautifully executed. Which again, reality is becoming like an endurance test of dread anyway. Some people just don't want to go through it, especially if they don't have the sort of potential of relief by the end, Mm -hmm. which hereditary (laughs) doesn't give you, does not offer, (laughs) not give you an out. Um, you're locked in the nightmare for good. If you choose to go with this movie, but anyway, like the, the last, the last 30 minutes, it hits a stride. That's like an unbelievable crescendo. And as things are revealed, you know, in terms of like, we haven't even really discussed the plot of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's better to just get dropped into this experience of watching this family cope with grief and how it opens up this kind of like gauntlet of, you know, malevolent spirits. But anyway, so like the more things are revealed and like the, that things are paid off and like explanations kind of present themselves in the conclusion, nothing's diffused it gets scarier as it goes along. And the images like, you know, the, the movie is like constantly filled with these like nightmare tableaus and just things that will like haunt you throughout the whole thing. And it saves the best for last. Like, you're just like, ah, 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 ah. And it just like, it just (laughs) keeps crescendoing. And that's like, that's rare. Like you can't, like, it's hard to blow those doors open anymore. We were also talking off mic before we started about like, the trailers for two remakes, you know, that are, that are coming out. Like, I think by the end of the year, the Suspiria remake and the Halloween remake, both movies came out around the same time in the late seventies, you know, within a year of each other. And those were like doors that like, they, they, they got kicked down and they, they just opened up like a whole, it just changed the zeitgeist. Basically mm-hmm. that's harder and harder to do. The more inundated people get and the more overloaded people get with like information and content and to sort of stir people, you know, people it's, it's increasingly more difficult to do so. And especially when an audience is getting aggressively resistant to it, you know, <laughs> And, like, what's interesting to me is, like, there was something detectable to me about the filmmaker's work where I was like, it seems like it's going to be, like, there's going to be a dark humor element, which is kind of hard to pick up in the movie. Like, it's it's not as, like, there's nothing safe about the experience. There's nothing, like... It doesn't give you the conventional beats of a horror movie and it also doesn't give you the beats of like this is funny and this is where you laugh to relieve the tension like you're kind of on your own for most of it Mm. which reminds me of like the shining in that way like there's plenty of parts in the shining that you're like laughing at and you're not sure if it's out of just absolute discomfort or if it was genuinely intended as a laugh moment you're just like (laughs) (laughs) huh (laughs) and i don't know like that just feels like reality at this point you know where we're just mm. lost in this sort of like nightmare funhouse of like not knowing what's what anymore and what even to discern as reality and uh and like Ari Aster in his um short work which like as we said this is his first feature but he's plenty of like short films to choose from he's a lot more transparently antagonistic in his short films yeah. than he is in hereditary. Like hereditary is, is like, it's still, it's so controlled in terms of its atmosphere. Um, while giving you complete reign to like, feel how you want to feel while you're lost in the sort of like dark maze of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, you can deal with it or don't, but like, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it clearly, shit stardy, you know, as opposed to like this movie, which is like, it's a little more, he kind of shields his hand a little bit. You can see that this is a born filmmaker, the way he uses the
0: camera in every yeah. single one of those short films and definitely uh, through to Hereditary. Um, it's It's impressive and it catches your attention right away. I think it's worth saying you can watch all of his shorts on Vimeo, uh, they're probably on YouTube too, but he has a Vimeo page called faux beef is like the production company he created. So you can find them all there and they are worth watching for sure. Um, So yeah, cool to see like uh an evolution of a filmmaker, even though he's only made one feature and just to see how strong, like right out the bat with this, this feature he is, it's definitely we're, we're, I think we've failed so far this movie 30 minutes in, and we haven't even mentioned Tony Collette in this movie as the as the lead color, uh, character, the the matriarch of this family, um I think this performance should and very well could make it all the way to the Oscars. Like I I, I don't really care too much to prognosticate in that stuff, but like A24 has shown an ability to get Oscar uh wins and Oscar attention for their movies. They know how to play that game. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm hoping that they put forth a campaign or whatever is needed to keep Tony Collette in the conversation at the end of the year, because um, as good as Ari Aster's direction and like, you know, vision of this film is, I I think it's nothing without a lead performance like that, because look at the backbone of the three movies we've really been comparing it to Rosemary's baby, the exorcist and the shining all have at least one really stellar lead performance that leads you through the movie to varying degrees. Yeah. Um, but arguably all three have other good supporting performances. You, you need that to make a movie like hereditary. It just feels like something that it's like without it, it just wouldn't have been the same thing. And the character she gets to play in this movie, Tony Klett is just, she gets to play a lot of notes as an actor. And um, I, I mean, I would imagine that would be a very exciting thing to get to like, see a character like this on the page And then to just get to hit all these different notes. And I do think sometimes her extreme, uh, the, the extreme, the extremity of her performance, the, the, the heights she's hitting and then the lows she's hitting, like can sometimes lean into a bit of a humorous vibe or, or it's almost that effect of like, I don't know how to deal with what she is saying. These awful things she might be saying to her son in one scene or or whatever. And you don't know how to do it. And maybe it's just a nervous laughter, but um again I'll tell you I I the more I watch The Shining it's still very scary and I think it's a masterpiece but I I do find The Shining quite funny like all of Kubrick's movies eventually like there's a humor that's always bubbling under the surface um and I guess what I'm saying is I love that there is that sort of complexity of emotions in Hereditary where yeah it's a it's a it definitely has a very steady um I would say steady increasing dread and terror and sadness to it. But there's other stuff going on that keeps it from being completely monotonous, I think. And uh, Tony Collette is the key. I mean, I really think she like she should win best actress right now. I mean, I haven't seen enough of the, whatever the quote unquote big movies that'll be coming out in the fall and the winter, but she should be a part of that conversation. Like I'm hoping that this movie has the kind of legs that something like get out did that led to Daniel Kaluuya getting nominated for best actor, which is so well-deserved, but it's not like that was expected for a little $5 million horror movie that came out in the beginning of the year last year. So um, yeah, I really think A24 four has an opportunity to, to, to hopefully even get more of an audience down the road to have this movie endure. If it can, if it can get some awards love, it's, it's not needed. It's a, it's a really good movie on its own, but um, I'm excited by the possibility because Tony Collette is freaking amazing. And um, I hope she gets, you know, I hope she gets some love for it.
1: She's incredible. Gabriel Byrne is also like, you know, equally good as her husband. Yeah. Um, and what is the, the actor who plays the son? Alex Wolf is his name. I'm glad you bring him up. Cause he's great too. Alex Wolf, who, you know, is like a, a little distractingly, you know, different from his parents clearly did not come from either one of these, but right. <laughs> so good that who cares? Like yep. there's a scene where a confrontation, you know, towards, towards the end of the movie at like a, a dinner scene that becomes just the, the most loaded Uh, just battleground, you know, for for the familial familial tensions mounting. Mm. And like she's Tony Collette's character is screaming at him, really just like leans in and like basically explodes at him. His expression of sustained hurt at her outburst (laughs) is so believable. And like it comes from like, you know, the arc of watching him kind of in a you know, self-medicated haze of smoking pot all the time, which like he's the, the opening sequences of him just kind of staring blankly yeah. are hilarious. And then as he is unable to medicate his way out of the horrors that are kind of multiplying around him, his like is becoming less numb and like painfully in his own body as like a young person is it's, really hip like he's incredible in the movie and like he's definitely somebody that like as as great as tony collette is like i'm excited to see what he does next you know because it's one of those performances where you're like oh i'm gonna see we're gonna see him a ton now yeah
0: yeah and as we should he's he's the other he's that like and all you're right gabriel byrne um i sort of talked over you he is he's a necessary like balance to the to the all the the high pitch notes that that tony collette gets to hit and Dowd is this very uh sort of mysterious well-wisher or someone that's there to help her in her grief uh love her performance all those side performances really help but it's alex's wolf is that like balance where that's the the deep sadness for me in the movie yeah is is just what that kid goes through in this movie but Again, I, I this might be just turning people off from wanting to make a trip to the cinema to go through it, and I, I apologize. But to me, I was so deeply affected by that, like that. That's what made it a great experience, yeah. you know. And if if you wanna feel something, sometimes it's really great to get put through the ringer in a movie like this. And I I never thought of in the bedroom, but I love hearing. Yeah that that was a movie that Ari Aster was sort of looking to because it does deal with grief. And it also very similarly is a sort of um, it's more, it's more like um, kind of kept in, it's more subtle and in the bedroom, but that is a genre movie, at least what it leans into. And it becomes a revenge story. It's just one done in a way that is not, usually the tactic for those movies it is not a thrill ride it's not a 90 minute little exploitation piece it's like dealing with grief and then how that can lead to revenge and there's not going to be the same satisfactions and all that but you you go through things in that movie and the same with hereditary i just i just i loved getting put through the ringer and it's like so so sad but um it's those performances it's that filmmaking i think I want to I want to note the cinematographer who Ari Aster, I think, has worked with on just about everything, because this movie is is absolutely gorgeous with the the dollhouse aesthetic that it that it uses that reflects the job that Tony Collette uh, has in the movie. Uh, I love that. But this this uh, it's a new DP to me is Pogorzelski. Um probably murdered that name. I apologize. But. As well as just like you said, we're gonna be seeing Alex Wolf in some more movies. I think we're gonna see this DP doing some really incredible things in the future. And it's it's uh it's very exciting, you know? Like I can get put through the ringer and be bummed out coming out of a movie like this, but I'm so I'm just thrilled and I can't wait to see it again to just appreciate the the craft out by it. No, I'm not, I'm not, (laughs) but I was for a while. I feel terrible. This is great. (laughs) I used to date a girl back in the day who said, I just liked going in vacation. I liked going to vacation in crazy people's minds when I go to movies like this, but uh, maybe that's true. I don't mind.
1: That's, that's wow. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Um, I
0: thought it was kind of clever. That's why I remember it.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean I I think the movies we've like championed the the most aggressively this year, we've we've, like (laughs) a harrowing emotional experience. (laughs) But believe me, it'll be worth it. And people are like, I don't harrowing emotion no, I don't wanna you know, like and so the more people like kind of experience their content with a sense of automation and a sense of like detached kind of absence you know, because we're like, we're, we're constantly, we're taking in content more and more. So the sense of attentiveness to it is almost like an exhausting prospect. You know, we're like looking at our phones, we're looking at our laptops, we're taking in content all the time. So we want, we want it to be streamlined. We want it to be kind of like, we want it to be telegraphed to us. So we like, well, we, I know what I'm getting like, and so I can watch it kind of passively and things that are, are artful and like in this beautifully thoroughly realized and this like this detailed like insane like you mentioned the the dollhouses that Tony Collette as an artist is making in the movie. Um she's like she makes miniatures as her that's her artwork. And so the sense of detail and like the focusing in on these miniaturized worlds and how they sometimes blend. You don't know what you're looking at. you do not looking if you're looking at like a life size and it transforms into a miniature and like that sense of like uh disorientation I think is beautifully realized and like so like the level of detail in this movie is incredible and it 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 deserves to be met with the same attentiveness in which it was made Mm -hmm. and I just feel like that that's like kind of lacking and I think that the more detached people get, the more they want it to be an easier experience. And like this movie delivers when you go with it, you know? And it like, it's not, I, to me, it's like to the, the way we, I think brace people makes it seem like it's a lot more demanding than it is. Like yes. the movie is brisk and it's like, it's well-written and there's like a pleasure to be, it's not tedious in any way, shape or form like it's gripping if you go with it and I don't know, like there's just, there's, there's something that it's like, can we have the sort of the enduring experience if people are as checked out as I'm worried they are, you know? (laughs) Well, it'll be
0: uh, what it's one of these things where it's like in my mind, fascinated to see what will, what will the movies that endure? What will that be like the shinings of the world? Like the shining, yeah didn't get like a lot of Kubrick movies wasn't well received when it came out. And now most people consider it an unimpeachable classic, right? For good reason. What will that be in the future? 10, 20 years from now, will movies like hereditary will, you know, I think our greatest fear is that the audience doesn't care. They're checked out, they're consuming content, as you said, and they're, they're too checked out 20 years from now to care about a movie back then. But I, I, there's going to be factions that remember these movies. And I feel like no matter what issues any of us might have with parts of it follows or the Babadook or the witch, or if anybody has issues with this movie, hereditary it's like they are the movies, the ones that challenge the conventions of the horror genre tend to last in the end. There's great yeah. examples of, you know, the, the kill, the sort of thrill, like slasher, kill them. Like, you know, like that there's good examples of that, but the ones that endure the most have an artfulness to it. Halloween is incredibly artfully made, the first one. But mm-hmm. it, it's a slasher movie. Texas Chainsaw, uh, the first nightmare on Elm Street. Like those movies endure because it's more than just a good forgettable time at the movies. So uh it I'm just I'm just looking to see ahead. Uh I need I need a reason to to keep plugging along, Joe. So I'm yeah. I just <laughs> I'm going to just, I'm going to just look forward to seeing how movies are, you know, remembered, but I, I feel like hereditary is destined in whatever version of that will be to be remembered as one of the great ones uh, of its era. So um, I do hope people make, make time to go see it. Um, There was one other movie I wanted to reference. That's kind of very similar to it. So um, you should tell me if I should cut this out after saying it Killist I thought of a lot after seeing this movie, the Ben. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think definitely in its conclusion for sure. Oh yeah. Sustained atmosphere of dread. Um, uh, Yeah, no, I I think it's a, it's a good, it's a good comparison. I also just think like uh,
0: where Killis sort of, goes off the rails in a very exciting way at the end where it gives the audience like nothing to like, you just don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Uh, the, another reason I thought, well, hereditary would get like a better cinema score or be more embraced by the first weekend audience is that it is more, like you said, it's accessible and like it has traditional horror beats at times where like there's a book that reveals information in this movie that's found at a very convenient time that helps explain some of the supernatural shit going on. It doesn't give you a full-on explanation, but it does bridge the gap between full-on, like, giving the audience everything and kill version of, fuck it, I ain't giving you anything, and you <laughs> you have to pick up the pieces. So, um, again, I, 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 it's another reason I, I was convinced this movie would be received positively by the audience, but I think a good thing to remember is none of us know how that cinema score shit actually works other than they pull people coming out of certain cinemas on opening weekend. And it, it can be a guide to let you know how good or bad a movie will do continuing on with its box office, but it doesn't really mean anything. It's just like that tracking, you know, box office tracking we've referred <clears throat> to like nobody, like it's not a science. So um, I, th- I think despite all that, this movie, I, I feel like it will endure. I hope it does, but uh, be curious to see how it does.
1: Yeah. So, uh, do you want to you want to pivot to the hold up? Oh, I do, my friend. Let's do it.
0: Meanie, yeah. meanie, 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 meanie. What? Meanie, 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 meanie. What? Mean-y, 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 mean-y. Hold up! Wait a minute. I just wait. You can call me sentimental. I don't care. I have beautiful friends. I have a wonderful new family. <laughs> He's
1: a wonderful man. And he wants to care for us. I don't know. I just... There's just something about him. Oh, that guy in Bellevue could have killed his whole family. Cut him up with knives. Maybe they disappointed him. We have to talk, honey. About what? About what is happening to our family. I'm um, taking care of it. He scares me, Dr. wandering who oh, am I here? Help me! Help! You're a very bad girl. The stepfather. Well, so hold up. I feel like it's my task to describe <laughs> what hold up is every every episode. It's your burden. <laughs> but it it was originally started as a way to um, titles that that we um, Eric and I have liked. You know, in, in its initial form, it was titles that were misunderstood at the time, either critically or culturally. They were maligned a little bit. But we have a fondness forum that, like, we have decided to share with our critical counterpoint to see if, you know, the other person sees what we see or is able to sort of, uh, you know, offer us some insight into why it it does deserve its um, <laughs> critical backlash. <laughs> it's since become uh, a segment where we just discuss movies like, and how, how well they sort of have transitioned over the course of time. Like, do they, are they still as relevant? Do they hold up basically? Um, And this is one that sort of like, it echoes some of uh, last week's um, topics. Uh, It was your pick and you can get into like why you picked it, how you first experienced it. But um 1987's the stepfather which was like a sleeper hit you know and like sleeper hits don't happen anymore you know it like where a small movie can find an audience over time like either in a, a sort of slow climbing uh experience at the box office or on video like now it just seems like movies that don't perform right away are buried instantaneously and they then vanish into the glut of too much content they may find their audience but that audience is drowned out by the din of everybody else talking about whatever's going on at the time so sleeper hits seem to be a thing of the past and which is a shame because it's like they they resonated because they had like an original idea that seemed to like find an audience it wasn't hype based it wasn't aggressive marketing based it was just on the merits of like tapping into something something unconscious something zeitgeisty and uh st- 87 was you know kind of a, a an interesting year for unique visions mm. and this was definitely part of it so what was your first experience watching it
0: Uh, first experience was later in life. Uh, not, not like I definitely, I was five years old when it would have come out in 87. So I definitely wouldn't have seen it in theaters at the time, but, uh, also one that I, as a child do have very vivid memories of the VHS cover. I loved going to the horror section at the video store and it, it, it had a very, like, I remember the cover it's, it's Terry O'Quinn, I think like in one of his poses looking at the mirror, I believe. Um, it's, it's, it's a kind of a simple image, but it, it captures the imagination. I always, it was one of those movies that I would lump in with like other more, more overtly like supernatural movies like troll or ghoulies, like just remembering these images and thinking someday I would love to see what that movie is all about. Yeah. But it, I kind of forgot about it as I get older and started to actually watch horror movies and, um, a friend of mine, a, a, a critic friend, actually, who lives in Minneapolis, Peter Schilling. I should I should put his name out there. He's a great writer. Um, he wrote an, a, just an incredible essay on the Stepfather. And I believe it was when the remake came out in 2009. Mm-hmm. He was very disappointed by that. I never saw the remake. I heard it's not good. Um, but he was so disappointed that But it, he wanted to champion the original in a way because he's like, Yes, this movie, as you said, it was like a it was a sleeper hit, but it seemed to have been kind of forgotten, and and he really like defended its thematic strengths, uh, the fact that it was such a. Uh, this ties into our holdup from last week too, of like the time it came out. It's it's definitely this one even harder than Class of 1999 for me is such a strong like uh, maybe not subversion, but it is um, it is taking down the Reagan era, like family, the nuclear family, the conservative nuclear family, that perfect little family dynamic. Yeah. And that is, uh, so when I saw it for the first time, it was around that time when the remake had come out, when I saw the original and I was quite taken with it. I got to see a 35 mil print of it. And I was like, man, this is, this is impressive. Now uh, I, so I, I, it's, it is sort of a different, atypical hold up pick in that way. But does it hold up? Seeing it again, I would say mostly yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some silliness to it that really, More. Re, there's silliness. There's some. I think the writing is mostly strong, but I think there's a whole B plot to this movie that ends up connecting at the end. That uh, is also very influenced by The Shining, specifically the Scatman Crothers character in that movie. Uh, yes, that you know, there's things of the stepfather that I'll, I'll put it this way. Cause there's more to dig into. I want to s- hear what you have to say is like the good f- definitely outweighs the sort of cheesy bad, but there's, there's, there's some cheesy bad in this movie, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of good.
1: I got to see a 35 millimeter print of it last year. Um, one of my favorite programmers in town programmed it as a part of his birthday triple feature, which was all sort of Nancy drew type <laughs> horror movies from nice. the eighties where like, um, teenage girls are putting together like what amounts to a murder mystery usually by a stepfather character. This was the second in the triple feature. The first one was scream for help. The last one was Lisa. Um, don't know those, but yeah, there's something like Terry O'Quinn is incredible in this movie. Like his, his performance is like, there, there's just like, there's so much good about this movie that even as the sort of like, The dated elements the sort of like wonkier like plot asides like don't don't necessarily endure or age well like there's there's so many like notes this movie hits and like it's grounded in terry o'quinn's performance i've read like a like a handful of reviews in preparing for the episode that were just like he's the best part everybody else is not good like I I wouldn't necessarily indict the rest of the cast. I think Jill Sholin as the daughter. She's great. She's great. Yeah. Brad Pitt's ex-girlfriend. Like she's, she's Uh. really like solid. (laughs) And, uh, and like, so, but like his, the movie starts essentially um, beautifully outside of a house where you're like, you just, you know, from the type of movie you're watching, you're assuming nothing good is happening inside. You see blinds pinched shut. Like and then we go inside of the house where Terry O'Quinn, you never know his real name because he's constantly shifting identities, jumping from one family to the next to try to attain the perfect nuclear family. And when that's not possible, he loses his mind and ends up killing the family. You find that out at the very the opening moments of the movie. He's shaving off his beard, and as he walks downstairs. It's an unbelievable carnage in the living room. Like it's terror. Like it's a truly terrifying tableau of just like what he's done. He's brutally murdered his family, and they're all just sort of laid out in a blood splattered living room. And like that is such a strong opening yeah. for like 1987. Sure, but it's still it still holds. You know, it still is like primally upsetting. And, like, that idea, that idea of confrontation and violation in 87 of confronting and indicting family values, essentially, which was, like, Reagan's big, in addition to, you know, a a lot of his campaigns, like, that was a huge one. The Republican sort of, like, reaffirmation of family values and how essentially full of shit it was, Yep. you know, because it was, like, it was holding – and it's only gotten more polluted – and meaningless over time. Like yep. now, now we're in an era of like conservativeness that's pointing to the Reagan era hypocrisy, and it's even more meaningless now because it's just like none of you people are examples of what you're purporting to. Like it's it's all control freak stuff. Yep, and like that's what Terry O'Quinn's character essentially embodies: is this need for an unattainable family ideal and how like his control freak tendencies end up resulting in him snapping and seeing the, like the tension between him being like, I'm just a nice guy. I like, I'm I'm old fashioned. And then seeing it, seeing it snap like that tension is one, like genuinely frightening to watch. Yep. Also hilarious at times to watch. (laughs) Because like the, the character that you're referencing in the B story, um, it's basically the brother of one of the the victims at the beginning of the movie. He's trying to put the, the puzzle pieces together and track him down. He's laid waste to like pretty quickly to, to basically eliminating like the, there's really no purpose to him being in the movie. And like that's the only that's purpose. Got own...
0: The only purpose is to bring a gun to the house. Yes. That is. Yes. <laughs>
1: But the scene where they see each other like and things have already escalated and they're they've gone gotten out of hand in uh, the household. He's already started attacking his like latest family that Jill Sholin is the daughter of. And he like see the the brother character walks into the house and he turns around and sees him. He's like, hey, it's you. And it's just like, what? That moment of like (laughs) slight disarming and like a misdirect before it, like the mayhem re is like, it's pretty hilarious.
0: Yeah. Uh, I uh, also I love, love in Terry Quinn, O'Quinn's performance where, where some, some of that humor, humor comes, out comes out of it, out where, it's where it's like, like, like he almost leans like into a little bit of campiness, but never full on in the movie. So like yeah. you get like 80% truly kind of terrifying, like creepy psycho guy, but 20% of a little bit of campiness. It's like, whatever, like, dis- like the choices he makes as an actor are really memorable in this movie. And the one, uh, it was a moment I had forgotten, but uh, uh, re-watching yesterday, I was still chilled by, is right when things are coming to a head and right before the climax is about to start, the, uh, the mother of Jill Shullin's character, who uh, is played by Shelley Hack, uh, she, she's starting to get wise to what Terry O'Quinn is up to. And there's a moment where he forgets who he is,
1: like his fake name. Yeah. Goes,
0: wait a minute, who am I here? And just wait the del- a minute. Oh my god, the delivery of that line and the way the framing just pulls into his face is like so deeply unsettling, but has yeah. a bit of tinge of like kind of maniacal humor to it. Because I right. think Terrell Quinnes just uh, can do a lot of layers in a performance. Uh, he's probably most famous still now for playing John Locke on Lost, mm-hmm. and. Uh, He's great in that show but like and he got to do a lot of that as that character you just never knew where that guy stood in that show for so off for so long but um, if nothing else like the stepfather is a great lead performance I also think it really stands out of its era. Of like it's it's not a slasher movie it might share some elements especially in this sequel that I didn't know much about but you watched Uh, it sounds like it could it becomes it might lean into the more unrealistic elements of the slasher movies where killer has to come back for to continue the movies I guess Mm -hmm. but um, what's so refreshing even now with watching the stepfather is like how much it stands out of its in its genre from its era it's it's not a Freddy movie it's not a Jason movie it's it is it's a lot of its horror and it's what makes it a good fit to hereditary is like just this the lie of the the perfect domestic bliss of the the family unit that you brought up yeah and uh, i actually think there's a lot of uh like good like visual work in this movie i think the camera does a lot of the storytelling uh i, I you alluded to it in the opening how like there's no dialogue or anything like it tells, there's, I, I really appreciated like the camera work in this movie. It's It's a low budget movie, but like made with someone who's trying to do more than just, you know, wide shot, close up, wide shot, blah, blah, blah. Like, Um. and I, I found a lot of the clever things of that, the way the themes, the themes are so well woven into the movie of like uh, every element of like what makes Terry O'Quinn sort of snap further and for, further. Like there, there's a, there's almost a chance you feel like we know what he's done to other families in the beginning of the movie right away. We know this guy's bad news, but mm-hmm. like there's a chance even on a rewatch where I was like, he could have almost made it work
1: with this family. I, I like to think, you know, I think yeah. like it could have almost worked. Right. Yeah. Or- there's like a, there's that weird tension of like, you're, you're not putting together who the killer is. You know who the killer is immediately. Right. Like you, you know what he's capable of And then the movie lulling you into like almost identifying with his want to connect like that's and that's that's direction. And then that's also his performance that he makes this like need for like a connection with a family so palpable that you're able to kind of like identify with it, knowing what he's capable of. You know what I mean? Like yeah. seeing him at a dinner scene where he's like, you know, I never knew what Thanksgiving was about until now. And seeing his eyes kind of glisten with tears, yes. you know, like, he means it, but G- he's wait, he's a fucking murderer. Like how, <laughs> Don't how forget. Are we, like going on the emotional journey with essentially someone who's capable of that maniacal detachment, you know? And like, that's like, the, I think that's, that's the str- That's where a true horror exists in this movie. Yeah. And then, like, there is there is a more kind of conventional thriller payoff like in the last 10 minutes that, like, is pretty expertly handled as well, mm-hmm. you know? But, like, there that, that tension of being like, oh, no. Like, I, I fell for it for a second. You know? <laughs> like, you know, we, we talked about Bad Influence being, like, a weird precursor to the dynamic in Fight Club, and I feel like especially his turns of like having like a a award cleaver kind of like, well, father's no father knows best. And like, and then almost instantaneously switching to like glaring undetectedly at like his daughter. Like that reminded me of American psycho and how like those quick turns of like revealing beneath the facade of like, uh, not a wholesomeness, but a presentability where it's Mm. like, Hey, I'll call you. And then like switching to being like, "Mm." you know, like (laughs) Christian Bale is able to do that. So like, I mean, there's, there's a heightened element to American psycho that there's, there's something less satirical at work in the stepfather where it's a pretty much more straightforward thriller than like American psycho is a heightened satire. Mm. But like the the turns are really similar in that way and how we're like able to excuse just horrors at the hands of like what what are normalized figures like businessmen or father figures like, you know, namely straight white businessmen and father <laughs> figures and like how like there's there's just something like really interestingly subversive, especially for a movie in 1987 to be confronting that. And, uh, you know, Joseph Rubin, the director of this, he, he went on to sort of make more yuppie thrillers, like sleeping with the enemy, but he made another, like, I think that this and his movie from 1984 dreamscape are a real kind of like complimentary indictment of the Reagan era. Cause in, in dreamscape, it's about like a president haunted by nightmares of nuclear annihilation. Right. And which is essentially what like Reagan was kind of like tipping us towards, you know, like in our tension with Russia Yeah, and like, so those, those two movies act as like a sort of tandem indictment of that whole conservative era. It's nice.
0: I That is nice. I still need to see dreamscape. I remember you using it as a, a way to knock way down to knock Inception down. when it came out. Yep. Um, Still so do. <laughs> I see Joseph Rubin uh, also made The Good Son. The that's pick. right. That's that's a future hold up pick for me. I've had it on my list for a long time. Where Ooh, I, good. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't even really realize enough. I didn't know enough about Joseph Rubin. So that's that is interesting. Um, but yeah, I just think there's there there. Uh, you know, I'd already said it. There, there is, there's some cheese ball stuff. The B plot we referred to. Uh, my biggest issue is that is because I think the script is so well done. Mm-hmm. Besides that, it, it's like once you get to the end and he's really just there to get a gun in the house. It's like you start to reveal the like, um, the moviness of it, where the the rest of it is because of Terry O'Quinn and and I do think Jill Schoelen too. Really good performances. Really interesting, complex characters too. Both of them. It, it feels so different to get into that B plot and see, like, it's really there to give exposition about Terry O'Quinn's background and then, yeah, to get a gun so that the climax can happen. But it's it's like you could arguably cut that character out completely and the movie would still work. They would have just had to do more with the family or, or do something else. But that's really my biggest knock on the movie. But, uh, I mean again the the good so much far 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 outweighs the bad uh that i i like was kind of like impressed by this movie i mean that opening five ten minutes is like oh shit i forgot how like well done this is like no dialogue
1: so yeah um yeah yeah there's a there's like a look to even low budget movies like in in the 1980s because they still were most likely getting theatrical releases even if they're their um their primary success was going to come from like being on video. Like there's like, there's crane shots in this yes. movie that are really beautiful that just sort of like pan down from like the house in. Uh, uh, yeah. There's just like a, an eloquence to the camera work in this that the, like the you final know.
0: shot, man. Right. With the, the birdhouse. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really, that's a great shot to go out on. It says more than just what the image literally is. I love that.
1: Yeah. And the, it's also a, a, a way to, you know, echo back to hereditary cause it's like miniatures an attempt yes. to have a, have a contained controlled environment, you know, like he's building this birdhouse to have a, a small version of perfection that he wants to attain the same way that Tony Collette is trying to like distill something that's controllable, which in their own way is like, that's what movies are.
0: Ooh, that feels like a good yeah. note to go out on, man. I don't know if I can top you there, buddy. Oh, okay. (laughs) If you have more to say about the stepfather, by all means, like, I I guess it's at least worth saying uh, I rented this on, if you have Amazon prime, it's available there.
1: Right. And then all all three of the original ones are available. You could stop at two though. (laughs) You're feeling bold enough to watch two, watch two because Terry O'Quinn's not in the third one. He didn't want to come back. Well, I am curious about two.
0: the fact that he's in it kind of, it confused me initially, but you helped me understand. Uh, uh, still confused, but sure. Uh, but yes, and they're on Amazon Prime. I was able, I don't have Prime, but I just rented it for about four bucks and they have an HD version of it. So you can appreciate all that good camera work uh,
1: that mm-hmm. we've talked about. So, and it's yeah. like a, a transfer from a print, it looked like, because there was like a lot of like little like grains from the actual like film print. So yep. look I love good. That.
0: Yeah, So find it. Uh, I think this movie still speaks to now and, and you see how twisted that whole ideology from the 80s has become. And as you very well put uh, that, like, there are people still leaning into this stuff and it's it just it it's it's almost it's far more satirical that that's happening than what we see in this movie. But uh, this movie yeah. still has it resonates still. I can see why it was remade in that like a lot of horror movies from this era are always being remade, but I could see why this was one that was picked out um, because it still speaks to stuff that's going on today. Uh, And, you know, for, for, for a modern audience that's getting into older horror films, um, actually a really well-written lead female character, Jill Sholin's character, I think is really well done. Like she, she she's really
1: smart. Yeah.
0: She like the, the, the dynamic between her and the boy that, they are kind of attracted to. There's some like cheese ball scenes as they flirt with each other, but also like what that it's always cheese ball when you're at that age flirting with people, but um, the way it's handled, like she is very assertive and smart and isn't just playing the princess character. She, she can like take care of herself. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. All right, man. What do you good say? Pick. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good pick. We've, we've, we've done well. We've done well lately in the hold up realm.
1: Just chill, the next episode.
0: let's wrap up episode 177 of adjust your tracking uh you can find our older episodes over at the playlist.net click on the podcast tab you also get to see our other shows on the network that is the playlist podcast we've got over under movies and uh that's kind of it right now we're we're trying to reformat over under movies i've been talking with uh the host of that show octay kozak and uh we're gonna see if we're gonna try something different with that one, but hopefully that comes back. But uh, uh, anyway, adjust your tracking. We're we're fairly regular. You can find us on the feed uh, there. So um, you can also email us if you want to hit us up for anything at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. Um, I don't know if there's anything else. We're on Facebook. Adjust your tracking's there. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter at adjustyourtrack. Um, I did want to say something before we close out, Joe. You mentioned Todd Field in the first review of hereditary the director of in the bedroom is a character in eyes wide shut and has worked with stanley kubrick before so it's all connected everything connects wow what a small world it really really is so uh thank you for uh for talking with me today joe
1: thanks eric